you've downloaded the Buckeye Leafcast with your host, Andy Evans, featuring Kevin Michael Imes and Ryan Ross Rohr. I will, Andrew, concede your point. If one of these four teams selected for the playoff has an outbreak and loses marquee players or coaches and simply can't play the game, then that has not happened yet, so you cannot say it with facts. I will never concede my point, ever. And Andy Evans thinks for some odd reason that he knows exactly how everybody thinks and how everybody, I know how this goes, this is what they're going to say, this is what they're going to If you can see my point, at least, Ross, which, you know, Kevin, you and your dinosaur brain sometimes <laughs> can't see things the other way, which that's okay, that's all right, because I'm, I'm very stubborn as well. And now, it's time for the Buckeye Leafcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Buckeye Leafcast. I'm Mr. Andy Evans. Joining me today, they were unable to do it last week when I had my boy, Mr. Jeremy Royer, on. However, it's a complete 180 because these two gentlemen are kind enough to join me for today's podcast. However, Mr. Royer is now unavailable for today, but that doesn't mean that once again, the show cannot go on. And I am talking about my boys, Mr. Kevin Imes and Mr. Ryan Ross Roar. It's almost like a uh, foul mouth Friday, except we're doing it on a Sunday morning here, gentlemen. I will try very hard not to be foul. I apologize that I slept in last week. I uh, dipped my toes in a little bit of extracurriculars on Saturday last week, and I <laughs> up in time. So I am here, and I am ready, and I apologize. So let's do this. Yes, Andrew, it is uh, obviously so good to be with you on the show. It has been a while. Uh, I mean, you know, has anything happened in the last year? Um, anybody done miss anything? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> it seems, seems pretty proper to uh, do this on the, uh, you know, on the heels of a hate week, and let's just see if it happens. So let's see. I, I guess it has been that long since the last time that we uh, did a podcast, the three of us. It probably was all the way back there before the Clemson game when the Buckeyes took on uh, the Tigers there in the first round of the college football playoff. God, has it been that long? Oh, it's been a while since I've been on here, absolutely. My God. Man, oh man, how time flies. Yeah, nothing a whole lot's really happened in between now and then, you know. Just a couple, uh, you know, silly things around the world, but other than that. Other than a Sean Wade ejection and a horrible call to roughing the passer, uh, yeah, nothing else has happened. <laughs> yeah, nothing, nothing at all that's been worth talking about, Ross. Uh, certainly nothing going on in the world with, like, you know, coronavirus or anything like that, which has certainly affected college football, which is certainly uh, going to be a talking point, gentlemen, that we are going to get to uh, here in a little bit after we dissect a little bit of the Buckeyes' big win over the Michigan State Spartans yesterday. Uh, But we will get into uh, how coronavirus has uh, affected the landscape of college football. Uh, Mr. Royer and I had an interesting and uh, thriving discussion on that subject last weekend. I wanted to bring him in here and get the four of us all going on uh, with this discussion, unfortunately, he's now unavailable, but you two are. So I guess in a way, we're kind of going to get everybody's perspective in two different podcasts going on in that regard. So I certainly want to talk about, uh, you know, whether or not 
this season indeed matters in college football uh, from a, from your guys' perspectives and uh, your opinions on the national landscape, all that kind of stuff. But uh, let's talk a little bit about the Buckeyes' big win over the Spartans yesterday. 52-12 to was the final score. You know, actually, the four of us, we were all discussing the game right up uh, to kickoff and throughout the game as well. And w- the three of us thought that this was going to be a closer game than the quote-unquote experts and pundits were calling. I mean, I was hearing scores of, you know, 52-10 to 10 and 38-14. to 14, And I'm thinking, you guys are crazy. Ohio State, we still didn't know until literally about an hour and 15 minutes up to kickoff who exactly Ohio State was going to be missing because of COVID concerns, ended up being like 23 guys, Kevin, were not available to play yesterday. But nonetheless, Ohio State probably played their most complete game of the season. They ran the ball well. Justin Fields... Pretty good day through the air, 17 to 24, 199 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, was sacked three times, but he also toted the rock 13 times for 104 yards. Another two scores on the ground. In fact, the Buckeyes piled up 322 yards total on the ground, thanks to Trey Sermon. 10 carries in the game, 112 yards, including a 64-yard touchdown run. Master Teague, believe it or not, led the team with 14 carries, only 46 yards for Master Teague. So, Kevin, let's start with you. This was, uh, like I said, I I believe this was the most complete game that I've seen Ohio State play all year. The three of us thought that it would be close. Obviously, that was not the case. Uh, Were you surprised? honestly, to see Ohio State come out and play the way they did. And granted, this ain't like our Michigan State teams that we remember, you know, seeing in the past. Hell, even up the last few years, uh, Michigan State teams, this is certainly a down year for them. But still, I just really thought that Ohio State was going to get a match from Michigan State, given what we saw Michigan State do against an undefeated 8th-ranked Northwestern last weekend and how they were able to shut them down and... I, I was I was actually kind of surprised, and maybe I'm just not giving Ohio State enough credit. So either Ohio State is really this good and does deserve to be part of the college football playoff talk, regardless of how many damn games they played, or maybe the Big Ten is really just this bad. I haven't decided yet, but your thoughts, Mr. Imes? Well, I think both things can be true. I think the Big Ten is really bad. Um, I mean, even look what happened to Wisconsin yesterday with Indiana starting quarterback. Yeah. I also think that Ohio State is, is pretty gosh darn good. And I think the word would be impressed more than surprised. Um, I thought missing those 23 folks, you know, your captain on the defense, the offensive line. Um, I know that the snaps came into play a little bit at the beginning, but it seemed like that center or guard that turned center decided to spend the 20 minutes at halftime to learn how to hype the football, which I was impressed by him as well, but I think that um, Larry Johnson brought the team together like um, I didn't think he could, and uh, they came out yesterday, and they were very, very, very impressive, I thought. Um, I liked the way we uh, had the run in the pass, uh, pretty balanced there. I mean, we did run the ball more, but it seemed like to me it was a little bit more balanced. Uh, 
I don't like Fields. Again, we've talked about this all year long. I don't like Fields uh, having that many yards rushing. I, I thought he was a little bit too aggressive at times. We're running the ball. Um, I do think he was targeted twice that they didn't call, but that's, you know, that's a whole other thing. Um, I don't know how many of those runs that Fields had yesterday were design runs or him just kind of running for his life, but um, 104 is a lot of yards for your quarterback, but that's all right. I was very happy to see Sermon get in the end zone, and, you know, he did that about time after he scored. He was, he was clicking his watch there. I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> uh, I wish Garrett Wilson's um, – touchdown would not have been called back on that ticky-tack holding call on Teague because then we would have had Wilson above 100 again, too. Um, and that's my guy. And then I was also very, very happy to see a, that stat line. We talk about it every week. The defensive, how many people made a tackle on defense. I think we were above 18, maybe 20. And uh, that's that's very impressive to me, and I like that a lot. So way more impressed than surprised. Ross, everything just seemed to be clicking. Would you say that you were impressed more than surprised or a little bit of both? Yeah, no, I thought Kevin hit the nail on the head when he said impressed. I think that's the perfect way to say it. I mean, if you just look, it's uh, uh, there's no doubt about it. Justin Fields, uh, he's the man. I mean, from running to passing to even blocking. I mean, that guy was pretty much doing it all yesterday, and uh, it definitely was good to see, uh, you know, Sermon actually uh, put up some numbers. Uh, granted, I mean, you know, one of them was a, a huge, what was that, 64-yard where, you know, I think all of us were kind of taking a deep breath when uh, Fields ran up and nailed that dude in the back because I could have sworn that was going to get called back when he did. <laughs> but um, that one didn't. It stayed there, and it was actually a, a good day for uh, Sermon. Uh, you know, you got to throw. You know, obviously Wilson had his you know usual better day, and uh, you know Alave actually did what Alave does. Um, I will tell you that uh, just based upon that, real quick. Um, I don't know if I'm just the only one that's kind of saying this, but Alave is starting to worry me as far as his fumbles go a little bit. I feel like that yeah. guy's put the ball on the ground maybe four or five times yeah. uh, over the course of the year, so they got to get that stuff cleaned up. But I mean, again, you just you know you don't want Alave, you know, getting you know ten receptions for you know two touchdowns and have a sixty yard dash all the way down to the one yard line and then fumble and the other team gets the ball because that will all go for naught. So I think he's got to get that stuff uh, kind of cleaned up a little bit. Um, but I mean, what can you say about the offensive line? I mean, you know, we only ran for 322 yards, and I don't think they sat Justin Fields one time. And that's with three uh, people who haven't even, even start or were away. Um, so I think you you got to be impressed with that. No, they but, sacked but, him three times. Oh, they did? Okay. Yeah. Right, sorry, to, to your point, three offensive uh, linemen, starters on the offensive line, were out. So, And they had to slide Harry Miller, who was a five-star center coming in as a high school recruit, Two years ago, they had to slide him from now his starting guard position back over to center. And for some reason, Ross, could he seem to be able to, to snap the ball to save his life? That was the uh, first two series. That first series, again, give Justin Fields a lot of credit because he was, you don't know where that snap was going. It was high left, high right. Some of them were rolling to him. You know, they were just, you had, I mean, almost every time he snapped the ball, you were just like, maybe this dude should just get under center, maybe just, just until we can get this back and get out of the shotgun or something. Uh, because, and granted, it didn't, it didn't really hurt us, you know, really at all when he was doing that. Thank God, at least not yet. Uh, but man, oh man, that was a, that was a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, they were not going to get under center at all. Larry Johnson was not going to put him under center for nothing. Sure, and it I looked like, like it. I think that that, and I, I don't know how you guys are going to take this comment, but I think that shows great leadership from Larry Johnson. Yeah, absolutely. To stick with that kid. What's his name, Andy? I don't want to say that kid anymore. What's his name? Harry Miller. Harry Miller. To stick with Harry Miller, Mr. Miller. 
I thought did an outstanding job uh, in the second half. I, I listened to Keels at halftime all the time, and they were talking about how hard he was working at halftime on the sideline. He didn't even go in the locker room. Uh, he, he stayed out on the field the entire uh, halftime working on his, his uh, snaps, and I, I, that's very impressed. I, I like that a lot. I like that leadership to, to stick with him and to let him, you know, kind of pull himself out of a, a pretty pretty shitty situation. So I like that a lot. So in in your time, you know, Kevin, having played football, and I don't know how much uh, knowledge you have of the offensive line, but how tough is it to go from one position, you know, you're you're a guard, now you got to slide over to tackle, or you're a guard, you got to slide over to the center spot all of a sudden on a whim, especially right now with coronavirus going on, with 23 players being out, three of them being your starting offensive linemen, not to mention at least what one or two uh, of the other offensive linemen that were out were, you know, backups that we may have seen some time out of considering a 52 to 12 blowout. But how tough is it to move from one position just 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 sliding over a foot? To, to, to from one position to the other on the offensive line. How tough is that? My take on that is if you're going from tackle to guard or guard to tackle, the transition's not as hard as going from one of those positions to center. You're, you're not going to see a tackle go to center, but from guard to center is a, is a different situation, especially in today's game where they're not up on the quarterback's not up under center, not taking that hand-to-hand you know, exchange of the football. We're, we're now hiking the football. It almost becomes like when receivers are the ball's in the air before they, they make their uh, cut, and then they make, they make the cut, and they turn their head around, the ball's right there, and they catch it. So it's kind of a rhythm thing. So I understand um, Mr. Miller not being able to, to snap the ball for a couple years there. I don't know how long ago he knew, how much notification he knew he was going from guard to center. It doesn't seem like to me that he knew very much because he turned it around really quickly. But the transition from guard to center in today's game is a heck of a lot harder than it used to be. Um, so they had to get into a rhythm. and They had to, like I said, come out of some adversity. That, and I know it's 52 to 12, and it's we're kind of maybe saying it a little bit too much, but it's not easy to go. From guard to center, you have to get that rhythm down. So a couple of things here I've been kind of looking up while you guys have been talking. Uh, Number one, uh, 25 guys, Kevin, uh, going back to your stat as far as the defense was concerned yesterday, uh, 25 guys got their name on the defensive stat sheet, and so all 25 uh, at least registering a tackle. Um, and it's funny you bring up the uh, inter- intercept or the uh, fumbles, Ross, with Chris Olave, because in talking uh, with a gentleman who's uh, also was a, a longtime uh, member of the show, Mr. Chris Stefanik, the intergalactic Buckeye fan, I was talking with him a little bit during the game yesterday. He brought up that same exact point, and I guess I, I really didn't didn't it didn't really occur to me um until he said something and I thought yeah you know I guess Olave has been kind of coughing up the ball here um a little bit this season and going back and doing a little bit of of homework he's now fumbled the ball four times he had one against Penn State which he did not lose one against Nebraska which he did lose, 
Um, he and then he got, had he got almost knocked out on that one too. I think. Yeah, right? he got he got crushed over the middle. Um, in fact, I think he did get knocked out like momentarily. He was down on the ground for for a few. If I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong. But then, of course, he had two yesterday alone. One of which he did lose. So four fumbles now, and the team as a whole has. Let me see here. Two, three. That makes five fumbles on the year that the team has, four of which are owned by Chris Olave, two of which now he has lost. So, And you almost were kind of not necessarily alluding to this, Ross, but just the fact that Chris brought up, well, he's starting to become unreliable. And I thought, man, that seems like a strong word to use. But I kind of get his point, but it's tough to say that Chris Olave is, is unreliable when he catches 10 balls for 139 yards, including a touchdown. Um, but when you have four fumbles on the year, I don't necessarily want to go as far as to say he might start becoming unreliable, but maybe in a way he is, you, you are starting to kind of think in the back of your mind, uh-oh, you know, what, what if he does do this after catching a long bomb and gets all the way down to the one-yard line and fumbles the ball? Yeah, it could be a game-changer. I mean, it absolutely could be. And it seems to me like those fumbles are happening almost while he's fighting for extra yards is what it almost looks like. It almost looks like he catches it and then he makes a move and, you know, he's kind of fighting, 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 and then gets hit and then the ball comes out with the exception to obviously getting clobbered over the middle uh, in that Nebraska game. But it's just, you know, it, it seems to me like he's he's kind of – it's kind of after contact that he's, he's kind of fighting for, you know, maybe that one or two or extra yards and then gets hit again. And then at least that's, that's what I've seen. Well, he's extremely – good-looking young man, so I think he'll be successful in life. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is it. Uh, but again, just to uh, go back, um, um, from our defensive side of the ball, I mean, the one thing that, I, that, I'll, that I'll mention, I mean, you can't go out without saying anything about Haskell Garrett. I mean, he's just kind of a good story, you know, all the way around. Um, and he tends to, you know, just be there all the time. Sean Wade is actually now finally, after us beating on him to absolute death for the, you know, the earlier part of the, the games in the early part, I think he's, he's starting to come around a little bit, um, and I'm going to tell you right now, two two guys that I, that, I, that I saw that actually, how their names called quite a bit, were Marcus Hooker and Ronnie Hickman. Um, now they Marcus Hooker with that pass breakup uh, that stopped a touchdown, and then when he had an open field tackle on that quarterback running for a down, where he grabbed that was him, badass. and then shot him down to the ground, keeping them, you know, on, on third and long, where it was just him. Uh, in the quarterback, and he just he made that open field tackle. Um, you know, they made they made a lot of open field tackles actually. So I think it's a it's a very strong uh, performance from from a unit that was missing their starting safety and safety or middle linebacker. Can we talk about that play real quick? Do you guys remember that play? Yeah, no, yeah. actually, uh, Ross, you kind of beat me to the punch here. I was about ready to hop into the defensive side of the ball because I definitely think we've got to talk about their performance. And uh, yeah, Kevin, no, take it away. That that play was crazy. So he drops back, and I'm thinking they're going to throw it over the middle cross pattern or something, you know, and then he breaks open down the field, and I'm like, oh, he's got 15 yards of steam running. There's no way we're going to stop him from getting across that line. And when when Hooker stepped up, which, by the way, is he's a next-level player, too. I, I can't – DBU is for real. When he stepped up and stopped him in his tracks, it wasn't even really a tackle. It was more of a knockout punch. I thought it was extremely beautiful, and, and I had to stop. Uh, I was I was working yesterday. Um, I don't know if I should say this out loud, but I was watching the game while I was driving. I had to pull over <laughs> to watch the game. <laughs> I, had to pull over, I had to pull over to watch the hit again. It was so exciting. 
um, to see, and and I'm I'm very happy that we got to see that. Uh, they him step up like that and make that play. It was very exciting. You know, here's what's funny is you look at Marcus Hooker's stat line for the game, and really it comes off as unimpressive, but you have to take into context the, the, the plays that we're talking about here. He had one tackle all game, but it was that tackle. He had yeah. one pass breakup all game. But it was that pass in the end zone he stopped a touchdown from happening. And, actually, impressively, he did recover one of two uh, Ohio State's fumble recoveries. So one tackle, one pass breakup, and one fumble recovery yesterday for Marcus Hooker. But when you take into context those plays that he had each of those stats on, it becomes even more impressive, his performance yesterday, without a doubt. Johnny on the spot. He was absolutely Johnny on the spot. And, and uh, I, for one was once again to use the word of the day apparently was impressed with his performance absolutely well the defense as a whole uh three tag or three sacks for a total of 23 yards six tackles for loss total for uh, 35 tfl yards two forced fumbles both of them recovered two interceptions five pass breakups and three hits on the quarterback for the Buckeyes yesterday. So, uh, altogether, a collective effort. And once again, I understand that this ain't necessarily, and Michigan's not really known as being an offensive threat, even back in the days when they're good. I mean, they've had some good offensive players. Don't, I'm not trying to. Michigan State. Yeah, they're just they're typically known for just being a traditional, straight up, hard nosed, smash mouth, you know, Big Ten football where they play great defense and uh, they're gonna try and run the ball down your throat, and then they'll have a quarterback who is formidable, uh, who can make some things happen, and. Rocky Lombardi, I'm sorry. If you're a Sparty fan, you know that Peyton Thorne is your guy. That dude came in and was 11 of 11 to start the second half. And did you guys start to get a little, maybe just a little nervous? Not completely nervous, considering that Ohio State was up, what, 28 uh, to nothing at the end of the first half. But to start the second half, the Buckeyes come out. Olave, that pass, I mean, he's got his man beat. And Fields may be just a touch overthrown, just a touch, but still, Olave's hand reached out, he got his hand on it, was unable to bring it in, Ohio State punts, then Michigan State starts working their way down the field, and and I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, okay, here we go, here comes that second half breakdown that we've experienced with the Buckeyes the last couple of games but that really didn't happen. But even still, Peyton Thorne came out, played a decent, decent ball game there in the second half, and I got just a just a hint nervous when he started completing all those passes to start the second half. Uh, Ross, I don't know about you, but uh, I was just just a tad, just a tad pooping my pants. Oh yeah, well it all started off with uh, again it was almost an exact same area of the game with the exact same score uh, that an Indiana game was, and then uh, you know it was thirty five to seven. They they had just scored a touchdown. We came back, and that's when Olave had fumbled that ball, and they got it back on our side of the you know on our side of the field, I believe. And then uh, 
was, and uh, lo and behold, it was. I mean, you were, we're all kind of saying this. So, oh my lord, here we go again! And that was until our boy Sean Wade came up with that diving interception that kind of uh, that put an end to all of that. And then it was just pretty smooth sailing up until then. So, a la Sean Wade, did he uh, that that particular thing stop stop that momentum? Um, and to see your point, yes, we all felt like that. That was until, at least in my opinion, until Sean made that interception, and then we went down, obviously scored again, and then uh, the rest is history. Yeah, I don't. I my glass is half full. It's not half empty. I I I think the second half bugaboo stuff is bullshit. And I'm frankly, <laughs> I, I, I'm really sick of hearing about it. Penix is no joke. Uh, he's he, he's a really good quarterback. Um, I'm not saying that he's going to play on Sunday, but he he's a really good quarterback. And I I, I get it. I understand how how that stuff goes on and and how we look at it and think, oh God, here we go again. But I think my comment was like, Jesus Christ, seriously, guys, are you seriously going to go down this path again? But uh, Sean Wade is, is is becoming Sean Wade again. I'm telling you guys, not being able to have. A preseason, if you will, at all has a big effect. It's a big deal. You don't make that next level jump without practice. And I know Alan Iverson doesn't like to talk about practice, but <laughs> practice is a really big deal in football. And when you're developing a skill, it's a big deal. And I think that the, the slow um, emergence if you will, of Sean Wade this year was directly attributed to the fact that they didn't have any kind of preseason. So um, I'm okay with it. I think that our defense is coming together just like it does almost every year. Um, I know the silver bullets aren't back, but, you know, it's kind of nice to see um, people step up, like we said, Johnny on the spot with Hooker and then Wade and Josh Haskell Garrett. That was one of the best plays I've ever seen in my life. I love that play. That kid was so excited. I just... I don't think that we're not a second-half team. I, I don't believe that. Well, this game definitely, yeah, if we're going to talk defense, we can't uh, turn over the subject without talking about Haskell Garrett. You know, three tackles yesterday, two of them solo, and oh, yeah, that's a pass uh, in the end zone and then has the presence of mind to search for the ball in the middle of the air and then follow it down into his arms in the end zone for a pick six. And the fact that we are talking about a dude who is, is, is back on the field, what, three, four months after being shot in the face and was in intensive care, lost like five teeth, had his jaw wired shut. I mean, three to four months after getting shot in the face. And he's out there playing football and now picking off passes in the end zone for touchdowns. Absolutely crazy, Ross. I mean, just unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good story. Uh, absolutely. And then uh, there's there is there's three more people that, uh, before we switch over to the subject, that I want to call out, too. And uh, a little teeny running back by the name of Mayan Williams. Um, yeah. Uh, that guy ran harder. I mean, granted, he didn't have a lot of runs, and he didn't put up big yardage. But the way that little kid ran, uh, I'd like to see that guy get some more touches, man, because that guy ran ridiculously hard in what he had. I mean, he was he would get in contact, and his feet just kept going. He just kept pushing and kept going. So, 
So uh, in the very short time uh, I got to see that guy run, I was actually very, very impressed with him. Um, I also want to talk about, uh, you know, McCall's block uh, when uh, good old uh, Fields was running for that first down and it was in a wide open field and he came in and laid the block. I mean, that was probably the best play in McCall's career at Ohio State. Uh, and it was a block just to spring a first down. And then finally, you can't say anything without mentioning Drew Chrisman and his ridiculous punts this week, oh, too. Man. Five punts for Chrisman, 267 yards, 74 yarder there was his longest. Three were inside the 20 for a 53.4 yard average. And dude, I'm glad you mentioned both Williams and McCall, Ross, because I noticed that as well. Um, I was a little surprised that, that Mayan Williams uh, came in before Steel Chambers. But there was one of those runs where he went up the middle and, and the, the, the hole was not there. He threw a stiff arm into one of the, I, I, I'm not sure, you know, one of the Michigan State defenders who it was exactly, but threw a little stiff arm, bounced it to the outside, and I think turned it into like an eight-yard gain. And, you know, you sit there and think, oh, okay, an eight-yard gain, not that impressive. But uh, to watch that guy run, I'm with you, man. I was impressed, and maybe that's the reason why we saw him in there before Steel chambers or maybe it was just at a point where Larry Johnson or or, or you know um, God who's the running backs coach um, uh, Tony Drayton Kevin Wilson right that's his name the coordinator Kevin Wilson yeah right? yeah okay um, I thought he did an outstanding job calling the game yesterday getting more folks involved and uh, uh, continue to bang the drum the more games these guys get into the more practice they get to have I think you get to see, you know, kind of what's on the back burner for us moving forward. I think what you, uh, on that play you're just talking about, if I'm not mistaken, that was a backside linebacker scraping over the middle to try to, to try to cover up that three or that two hole. And uh, you're right, he just threw his hand up and knocked him down. Shades of Darren Sproles, maybe, but um, I, I was very impressed as well. And I think that that block that you talked about earlier, McCall, was probably the play of the day. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's silly, but it was no, great. it was big. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, it was huge. That's one of the reasons. That was and that was McCall. That's why I said it's probably the best play of his career so far. And it's crazy just to say to, to throw a block on a first down run is a is a big play. But it was it was at the time of the game. It was huge. Yeah, almost had himself a touchdown catch too, but he bobbled it as he was trying to reel it in, and it was ruled incomplete. And uh, I said Tony Drayton earlier about the uh, running backs coach. I don't know why I said Tony Drayton. He was, like, from several years ago. Tony Alford is their uh, running backs coach. But whoever made the call for mine, Williams, to get in there, um, yeah, I was impressed. Impressed with that. Impressed with the block from McCall. Um, And I think, to your point, Kevin, Kevin Wilson – and and the entire coaching staff, they know how deep and loaded this team is – they want to get as many guys as much experience as possible because if they are indeed going to make the college football playoff at this point, they probably are going to need several people to dig down deep into the depth chart uh, in some certain spots to get them as much reps as possible because let's face it, just like you said, Kevin, practice, (laughs) practice, we we don't talk about practice, practice, practice does indeed make perfect. And as many reps and as much practice as everybody on this team can get, you know, the better off they're going to be if they make a college football playoff. Um, to expand on that point, Andy Evans, you also don't know who's going to have the vid from one day to the next. So 
you, you, you got to have these guys getting in there. you got to have these guys getting experience. So their first experience isn't against Michigan or isn't against Alabama or isn't against whomever comes out of the West um, in big games. So, I mean, we, we're going to play three more games, and all three of them are huge. And to get all – or maybe hopefully four more games, actually. But all of these games are going to be really big. And to have guys with experience and to have guys actually getting in there and, and getting their feet wet versus Michigan State instead of Michigan, um, Northwestern, whomever it may be. And then Clemson is a lot is a lot better idea, I think. Absolutely would be. Uh, and we, we kind of knew this going in that you didn't, you know, based upon, uh, you know, what we're going through with who's sick and who may be in and who may be, and who may be out. Um, everybody – Everybody all the way across the board was saying that the, the teams that have the most depth are going to be in the best position to actually make it through. And uh, that proved its head today or this week when we played Michigan State because we needed it and we got it and we excelled. So absolutely. Where did this air quotes statement about Michigan playing Maryland next Saturday come out? Wow, that's news to me. I haven't heard anything about that. Ross, you? Yeah, there's there's a, there's a lot of garbage that's going on as of right now. So it's just I don't for a, I, I've heard all kinds of things from uh, if, if there's meetings going on right now to where um, you know the Ohio State is demanding that Michigan say by either by no later than Tuesday as to whether or not they're going to play this game. Um, and if that happens, they are. But this is just what I'm hearing out there as well that uh, Northwestern, uh, from my understanding, Northwestern plays. Uh, Nebraska uh, this week, I believe, um, and they want to basically say that since Northwestern has already solidified themselves as being in the championship game, that they take the bye next week and have Ohio State do a rematch in Lincoln uh, just to get that sixth game so that they can move ahead the following week and play Northwestern in that championship game. That's really the rumors that I've heard. Jesus, God. You guys, we got to get off of Facebook. This is, I, I feel, it just seems, it seems like... This year, the uh, Big Ten commissioners, the SEC, not so much the SEC, but the Big Ten, the Pac-12, it just seems like they're not willing to say this is all about money. Nobody wants to see Michigan play uh, Maryland. Whatever, the whole country can't wait for next Saturday at noon to see Harbaugh with his pants down and Ryan Day behind him just wailing away. So, I, I, I just seem to, it's all about money. Just say it's all about because that's what it is. If Northwestern solidifies itself as the day, so you're the runner-up of the Big Ten. Good for you. I just don't understand why they can't just say, yo, this is all about money. This is what we're going to do. Are we talking about some of these games taking place if other teams are unavailable to play? Like, I don't get why would Maryland and Michigan play each other this coming weekend? You know, why, why are we talking about a rematch with Nebraska? Like, why they're doing that is because they would be the only team that would be able to give us that sixth game in the conference. That's why that came up. If, if Michigan's not able to play. If Michigan is not able to play, because I believe Northwestern plays Nebraska, so they are saying that. There's See, no that's the thing. Northwestern that on the schedule. Northwestern's supposed to play Illinois. That's their season-ending rivalry game. Or, yeah, I'm sorry. I said Nebraska. I'm sorry. They wanted Ohio State to play Illinois and let and not Northwestern. I'm sorry. I said Nebraska. That's 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 not what I meant. And I apologize for that. It was Illinois. They want they want to push that Northwestern game back to the championship game and have Ohio State play Illinois to get that sixth game. That's my. That's 
I, I read that wrong. That's my fault. But you're saying is if Michigan, this is what this is all. I don't know who listens to this for facts, but this is all straight rumors, right? Yes, all rumors, speculation. What you're what you're getting at is if Michigan cannot play next week, we have to play another game to get to six, so yes. we can play in the in the championship in the Big Ten championship. Yes. But Big Ten commissioners and a college football playoff committee have zero to do with each other. Not that you didn't know. I was just saying it. Um, so if Ohio State doesn't play six games, we can we should still be in the playoff. We could, but getting that six game and winning a Big Ten championship will further that argument, especially, I agree. I agree. especially and this is all speculation, if let's just say uh, you know, Clemson beats Notre Dame and God forbid Florida beat Alabama, we'd be a really, really difficult situation uh, looking into that if we only played five games. Well, I think that Clemson does beat Notre Dame because I think Notre Dame is, is, well, I won't say that. They probably deserve to be in. But I don't think you, do you really, have you, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not downplaying your prowess, but have you watched Florida or Alabama play at all? I've watched them both. Alabama, very impressive. Florida, not at all. Yeah, so I, I mean, I don't see, Alabama's going to be what? Uh, at least a 21, 23 point favorite in that game. As well they should be. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, I'm sorry. Go ahead, I'm just, no, no, no. I was just, they're just trying to do that because, uh, I mean, I mean, if you, I mean, look, I mean, the whole, and we, we'll get into this too, but I mean, if, if, the whole the whole thing is that all teams don't play the same number of games. And so, look, how can the committee how can the committee know what teams are good enough to make the playoff? And all we're doing is basically speculating that if the committee puts Ohio State in with only five games, that we somehow have lost lost all faith in the committee. Well, here I got a news flash for everybody. When have we ever ever had faith in college football organization to pick the best teams for the playoff and the championship? And let's let's go 2014. We leaped over Baylor and TCU, who were both ahead of us the whole entire year and did not lose late in the season. In 2015, maybe a team that we had that was better than 2014. Uh, we were clearly better than the Spartans who beat us. We just played our worst game of the year, and they went out and they got shut out by Alabama. And they go to the very next year. We go to 2016, where the complete opposite happened, where we backed our way in over Penn State, who beat us that year. And then, if you want to finally go to you know 2007 and 2018, where we won the conference championship both those years, but then we were left out. So we didn't have much. I mean, did you have much faith in the committee those years without a pandemic? I mean, let alone with one. I mean, we are. We aren't just going to throw away all those seasons. So uh, does does this season matter to any of us? I mean, let's go to the BCS real quick. I mean, the first year of the BCS was in 1998 where they chose an ACC co-champion Florida State to take on eventual champion Tennessee over the Buckeyes, who were clearly the best team in the country that year. And probably all of us in this room, many to this day, still think that that 1998 OSU team was probably the best that we watched in our lifetime um, with the defense a la Sloth Katzenmoyer. Then that thing was just stacked. Uh, so, uh, but the BCS was pretty kind to us over the years. And I mean, if you want to, you want to inject politics into it, you are 100%, Kevin. That's what it is all about. It is all about money because in this year, in a pandemic where nobody can bring in any money, what better way is it to put the number one fan base and the number one cash cow in your conference in a position that is actually going to bring you in money? So you are 100% correct that this is all about money because the Big Ten needs OSU in the playoffs to bring in that money. And you need to look no further than what. Barry Alvarez has said about OSU and doing everything in his power to get there. But to have faith in a committee, okay, yeah, this is a year we should all lose faith. Yeah, okay, we've lost faith a long time ago. Hell, even before the, even before the BCS, we were picking four and five national champions a year for crying out loud. I think the last time I had faith in any kind of playoff or 
college football rankings was when we had a computer system that did it. That was my favorite. That makes more sense <laughs> to have some nerd in his mom's basement come up with some stupid-ass equation to tell us who was the best team in the country. That was a great idea. Yeah, don't even get me started on that because I think everybody here in the uh, free world knows my opinion of the BC. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man, I was sitting here. I was sitting here having fun listening to you guys going off, man. I didn't want to want to step in and and ruin the flow on that, man. That was that was great banner. I'm loving it. Yeah, over here for it. We we bring power to the people. (laughs) Power to the. People. And that concludes this portion of the Buckeye Leafcast Michigan State Recap. Be sure to check out the next part where Andy, Kevin, and Ross get into a spirited debate involving this season of college football.